Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. So given that we've lamented the disappointments of so many three-year-olds in Europe this season, there are a few pretty good ones in America, don't forget, I can ask Lee Mottishead the question, have Japan got the best three-year-old colt in the world at the moment, and is that him? Well, the figures would say no. They said no before the Japanese St. Ledger, and they'll almost certainly say no after the Japanese St. Ledger, since given that he only just won that race today but I think you can look at that race and say he's going over a mile and seven furlongs imagine one of our top three or middle distance horses being put over a mile and seven furlongs wouldn't happen apart from the St Ledger um, he overcame not really staying the trip to win the race I think if you look back at his derby effort and his guineas wins in, in Japan this year I think he's a freak of a talent and although you look down the list of our top three year olds in 2020 and as you, you mentioned American obviously horses like Tears the Law and Authentic and um, uh, Swiss Skydiver. Loads of really good horses there. And we've got Palace Pier over here and we've had Kamiko and we've got Love. I think Contrail is more talented than all of them. Um, and although, again, he, he won't be the world's best racehorse this year on the figures and he won't even be the world's best three-year-old, I think in terms of pure talent, if you look at what he did in his first two classic victories, if you look at how good he was as a two-year-old, I think he's the best three-year-old in the world, and I'm already looking forward to hopefully seeing him come across to Paris mm -hmm. next autumn and finally righting the wrong of Japan, not so far having an arc winner. Um, since the heartbreak of Orfevre, we haven't yeah. really had a proper sniff. No of the Japanese having like winner. And there was that period of time yep. where they really brought the whole event to life with their sheer passion and enthusiasm for yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely right. And they, they, again, Japanese racing, like racing everywhere else, has been hit by having no crowds this year. But they've had some sensationally good racing. They've had a Phillies triple crown winner at the same time as, yeah. a, as a Colts triple crown winner in Daring Tact who went through the, the triple tiara there. Um, they've got some superb horses at the moment, as ever. And because it's Japan you know that in control there will be zero chance of him going to start at the end of the year because that's just not what they do in Japan, thankfully. Uh, well, that is uh, something I would love to do, go to, go to the races in Japan. Uh, as yet an ambition unfulfilled. Let's talk about His Highness the Yaga Khan, who has recruited Johnny Murta to his group of trainers. Now, this is significant for more than one reason, as was outlined, I thought, beautifully in your paper by Richard Forrestal earlier in the week. Yeah, and if I sort of paraphrase what Richard, Richard wrote um, and try and do an excellent column justice, he was making the point that traditionally people with whom the Aga Khan has severed ties, those ties are not... Uh, re rebound mm. again. Um, Luca Kumani got a, a second bite of the cherry, didn't he? Had he had a second bite of the long. cherry, yeah, it didn't last long. Um, in 2012, Johnny Murta's training career was, was in its early stages, so early, in fact, that Tommy Carmody held the licence. Um, and there was a race at the Curra where <laughs> Johnny, who was at that point the retained jockey to the Aga Khan, but was injured at the time, in effect, he inverted commas, trained a winner at the Curra who beat into second a horse owned by the Aga Khan and trained by John Ock, to whom Johnny was riding. Um, I think it, it's safe to, to say that the Aga Khan did not view that with a great deal of, of satisfaction. The association came to an end, um, and, as you say, with the exception of Luca Kamani, those relationships haven't generally been, been reformed again. Um, I think it's a mark and of how... Sumio. Yeah, absolutely. Sumio yeah, back fair in, Sumio he? did get back, yeah, he did get back. Um, but it's, I think it's a mark of how well Johnny's doing as a trainer that the Aga Khan 
has um, sent him some horses next year. Um, and it's good to see that it's not just in France that Aga Khan is extremely well represented. Obviously, Michael Halfland and Dermot Weld had tremendous success. It remains a great source of sadness that the Aga Khan's horses aren't trained in Britain. No horses trained in Britain. He hasn't gone back with Sir Michael Stout and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have horses over here, which is a great shame. Um, but in Ireland and France, he's doing rather well. Um, and I'm sure Johnny Murtagh will do very well indeed for him. With our fantastic prize money here, it's surely only a matter of time before His Highness sees the light. Was there an element of satire in that? In that, in that no, it, was not, it wasn't clever enough to be described oh, no, as okay, satire. Okay. Just rubbish sarcasm, I think. <laughs> Colin Keane next, who is in a battle with Shane Foley to be the Irish champion. But with one bookmaker this week, he was as short as six to one on to be named as a retained rider for Bally Doyle in 2021. Now, we've teased this subject a few times yep. in the last few weeks, but there's something that seems a little bit more concrete about it now. Well, I mean, those of us in this trade um, greatly enjoy a Paddy Power press release. Sometimes they contain some, some belting bits and pieces, and this one I thought was particularly interesting. Six to one on for Colin Keane to be Ballydor. So are they just year. stirring the pot? Or <laughs> Well, I... I, I it wouldn't be the first time that Paddy Power have stirred the pot in a press release, but clearly there, there is smoke out there. And I thought there was a, there's a, there's a piece this week, uh, I think it was in the Irish Times, in which Ger Lyons was quoted on the subject. And it, and it read like a piece in which the man who currently retains Colin Keane was trying to pour a degree of water on, on this fire and suggest that, that this wasn't going to be happening. But at the same time, I think Germ made clear that Colin Keane is not going to go to Ballydoll without first discussing it with me, first having it agreed with me and my owners. Um, and if he does go, I'll be part of that discussion. There's clearly a momentum between Colin Keane and Ballydoll. The fact he's getting rides for Aidan O'Brien when he wouldn't have had before. There are people have pointed out that that Ballydoll job generally lasts for a, a certain number of years, but not forever. Um, Ryan Moore's now the longest incumbent yeah. in, that, in that job and obviously had the association going back pre-Joseph as well. Yeah. He was writing classic winners for them in the late noughties. Do you think this is in part potentially COVID-inspired as far as you, you know, the, the ease with which you can slide between the two countries is not great? I think potentially. I mean, none of, we don't know. I think potentially also because of COVID, Ryan Moore has had to spend his year differently this year in the sense that he spent much more time riding purely in Britain, not going to Ireland, potentially, and I say we don't know, maybe that's been more enjoyable. And maybe the time is just right to try something different. Um, but six to one on seems like a remarkably short price when you've still got Joe Lines to get past. Yeah, it's an interesting kite being flown, or at least it's an interesting way of expressing the flying of that kite. 48-hour declarations for jumps races appear to be here to stay. Not everyone loves it. I quite do, but yep. I can understand why certain trainers wouldn't, particularly when you get weather like we've had the last couple of days. I think I would absolutely reflect that position. Uh, but I would say I, I more than quite like 48-hour declarations for jumps. I think it's a really good thing. Um, I think those of us whose job it is to try and uh, sell the sport through the media and try to promote the sport inevitably find it easy to do so when you have fixed fields further out um, that, that's just common sense I don't think anybody on the opposite side of the debate mm. would argue 
with that. I think we've seen that, that four-to-hour decks in jump racing already work in the sense that one in every seven days racing already has four-to-hour decks for every race meeting on Sundays. They're always declared on Fridays. A number of major races on Saturdays are already done at 40-hour decks. The Cheltenham Festival has now got a history of 40-hour declarations. And although we've seen in those races, and we've seen this year in 40-hour declarations in jumping in the new COVID world, that there is an increase in non-runners, and you would expect there to be, because there's longer between declarations and racing taking place for a horse to, to encounter a problem or for the ground to change. Those non-runners have gone up. I think that increase in non-runners is a price worth paying. I absolutely understand and sympathise with trainers that it does make their job harder, but equally I'm encouraged to see that in general trainers, although they might not be happy about this, their understanding of it, and I think some trainers are making the point that they actually quite like it. It gives them uh, a, a greater ease with jockeys in the sense mm-hmm. that they know their situation much further out, and for their owners it can be helpful too because owners know two days before a race if the horse is going to be racing and where the horse is going to be racing. So I think although there are issues with 40-hour de- de- decks that mean they will not be loved by everybody, I think for the greater good, and remember that racing is an entertainment business, those who we want to entertain enjoy knowing fields further out and therefore 40-hour decks for jumps, as for flat racing, must stay. One horse who's done more to entertain than almost any other over the last few years is the dual Grand National hero Tiger Roll. He made his return to the track in a flat race at Navan earlier this week in the Flower Hill Maiden over a mile and six. He was ridden by a 16-year-old jockey, a jockey only six years older than the horse himself. Quite remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the race for Tiger Roll started quite a while after everybody else's race started. He was very slow out the gates, which maybe you would have expected on on his... uh, on a, this different sort of experience for him, but he, he ran a perfectly sound race in a contest of that nature. Um, it was merely a means to an end. I think what's interesting is the debate about what his end actually is, mm. in the sense that Gordon Elliott and the owners keep saying that his primary objective this season is the cross-country chase at the Cheltenham Festival. I cannot believe <laughs> that Ty- Tiger Roll's prime aim is not trying to emulate Red Rum by winning a third Grand National. Well, people's priorities have changed. I'm the biggest devotee of the Grand National Absolutely. that there is, but yeah, any race at the Cheltenham Festival now seems to have yeah, I know, acquired I know. a significance. But let's put it out there. If Easy's Land turns up at the Cheltenham Festival in the cross-country race, Tiger Roll might as well start now. Yeah, certainly if Easy's Land performs to the level he performed at um, last season... In the, in the cross-country chase, you would absolutely say that. Although we shouldn't forget that in the previous season's cross-country chase, mm-hmm. Tiger Roll produced an almost Gold Cup-like figure he did. in winning that race. The last two cross-country chases have produced two of the very best conditions chase figures of the last two seasons. But you're right, Easy Land looked um, a sensational horse for that discipline this season. Interesting that he's also being aimed towards the Grand National. Um, but you, you sense that, again, this season... If we have a season that reaches the Grand National, and we all have to hope we do, that a little bit, as with Enable this year on the flat, the narrative of the season, even though the Cheltenham Festival dominates everything in this sport, the, the overarching narrative, certainly for the general public, will be can Tiger Roll emulate Red Rum? And let's hope he gets there to Aintree on that Saturday in April and at least has his chance.
Now, this, this jockey's title between Asheen Murphy and William Buick, is it really a battle, or is this a bit of a phony war? Uh, listen, in the media, we obviously love to build up these, these jockeys' titles. Um, and I think it's fair to build it up in the sense that, yes, there are only two weeks to go. Um, and I think, is it nine winners between them? So he's chiselling away at the block, but it's not coming apart that quickly. It's not coming apart, but you can, you can overturn a nine-winner deficit in two weeks. William Buick's agent this year has been Tony Hind, who has a record of making champion jockeys. His quotes in the Racing Post this week, as similar to his quotes during the, the, the previous months, have shown how absolutely hungry he is to win this title with William Buick. I'm sure William is every bit as hungry. We're going into a period whereby Asheen Murphy perhaps won't be able to ride in Britain every day. He's got the Breeders' Cup um, coming up, hasn't he, where you'd imagine he'll be... Well, he'll have to go to the Breeders' Cup He'll be in America Cameco. for Cameco. William Buick, we're, we're talking earlier on, will William be the Breeders' Cup? No. no, me neither. Um, and if he has a chance of winning a jockey's championship, perhaps that might well keep him at home anyway. Um, it just adds an extra element of spice these final two weeks of the season. And it, I think it, it, does, it does show that where in a normal year the Jockeys' Championship ends on Champions Day, the final few weeks of the season can sometimes lack a narrative and a raison d'etre if you have a Jockeys' Championship battle. For all that there are many arguments for having the jockey season end on, on Champions Day, where it goes on to November Handicap Day at Donny, it does give those, those final few weeks a raise on Detra if you have a battle for the title. And although at the minute it's a battle in inverted commas, I think if you said to Asheen Murphy, sorry to William Buick and Asheen Murphy, and to Tony Hind, is it a battle? They still say it is. Now, we were asking, I, I, I tossed the question out there last week because people are wondering, what's happened to this B sample of Asheen Murphy yeah. for his failed uh, drugs test? And I have been in touch with France Gallo this morning and I got a message back saying, we understand your legitimate wish to know where we stand on this sensitive matter. The process is running its course as it normally would do. There is nothing unusual, but France Gallo do not make public announcements on this until the authorities in charge have made a decision. Therefore, France Gallo cannot disclose at what stage of the process they are at at the moment. They would say that it's only because Sheen Murphy decided to announce that he was testing positive that the news is now public. In the normal course of events, it would have been. It's really interesting. Um, we'll clearly find out in due course what the situation is. I think one aspect but of I think all the, this... The one thing I got out of that was that there hasn't been some sort nothing, of bizarre no, no, artificial absolutely. delay it's, or anything it, like it's that. It's running it is, its course. It's running its yeah. normal course. I think one aspect, given where we are in the year and what Sheen Murphy would normally be looking to do at this time of year, i.e. Head to, head to Japan, is that the JRA is notoriously, notoriously not the right way, quite rightly scrupulous in terms of who it lets into the country. So if they, you fail the test, you might struggle. I, yeah, I think Sheen Murphy's future in Japan, where he's so popular and so successful, could well in the, in the near future depend on, on what happens with this test. On how that unravels? Yeah. OK. Betting shop closures now affect every uh, city, town and borough that fall into Tier 3, yeah. and, of course, Wales, which is in the middle of their firebreak situation, yeah. their quasi-lockdown. Yeah. So how much will this really affect the betting and racing industries? We're looking at quite big numbers now. If you, if you take into account Liverpool, uh, Manchester, um, South Yorkshire, uh, Lancashire, as you say, Wales, 
you do the numbers and you're looking at around 23% of Britain's retail estate is currently uh, involved in, in forced closures. Um, for those betting shops, for turnover, and more importantly for the staff in those betting shops, that clearly uh, raises, raises questions. And I think it raises wider questions in the debate around should these shops be closed. Um, there are clearly enormous debates about the rights and wrongs of government policy. Um, but government policy is generally full of inconsistencies. And I think the, those who represent betting shops and also British horse racing and Irish racing would make the point that it does seem strange that you can go in any number of non-essential shops at the moment of a similar size mm. to a betting shop, whereas you can't go in a betting shop given betting shops have shown over recent weeks how well they can manage this situation. Uh, I just wanted to touch on a related point, which is that the point-to-point -point meeting today, which has gone ahead with great um, cooperation between various local authorities, the BHA, the point-to-point -point organising committee, has at the 11th hour withdrawn permission for owners to attend mm -hmm. Maysmore Park in Gloucestershire because of an intervention from the local authority. Yeah. And I do wonder whether increasingly, as more power is devolved to local authorities and local government, whether racing is going to have its work cut out trying to overcome those stumbling blocks. And we saw that, didn't we, in the build-up to the St Ledger Festival, mm. in terms of the influence that the, the local authority, and particularly the mayor there, was having in whether that meeting should or should not have taken place uh, with crowds. And there is also an edict that spe specified that nobody, whatever participation they had in this point to point from a tier two or tier, tier three area was able to uh, to attend so the tier yeah. system is not going to make life any less complicated that's for sure those were this week's talking points